Welcome to the Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, our goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices and instead look for the processes and the questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Angela Brown, the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for K-12 at Niche, and our guest for this episode is Randy Benedict. Randy is the Assistant Head of School for Enrollment Management at St. Anne's Belfield School in Charlottesville, Virginia, where she joins a long line of saints. Her aunt, paternal grandmother, and great-aunt are St. Anne's graduates, and the same great-aunt taught at the school. With the independent school spirit in her DNA, over the course of her career, Randy has been a head of school, coach, teacher, dorm parent, advisor, and more. Working tirelessly to advance the industry, her service has included serving on two boards for state independent school associations, the Pennsylvania Association of Independent Schools, and the Association of Independent Maryland and D.C. Schools, which govern accreditation for the states for all independent school members. Additionally, Randy has led and served on accreditation teams, served the Enrollment Management Association as a member, officer, and board chair over a nine-year period, was a board member for the HEADS Network, and served on the faculty for programs that help independent school educators and staff consider their leadership paths. Randy was awarded the William Bretnall Award by EMA, honoring admission professionals who have provided exemplary contributions to the field of independent school admission. She has a graduate degree in educational leadership from Johns Hopkins University with a concentration in independent school management. Randy and her husband are the proud parents of two independent school graduates. Randy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Angela. I'm thrilled to be here today. It's great to have you. We're very excited to dig into our discussion about parent engagement, very timely at this point in the school year. But we're going to start with the two questions that we ask in every episode. The first is, what is something you tried that didn't work and what did you learn? I've learned that the same tricks don't work in all markets. For example, having worked in admission for over 30 years in five distinct markets, I've always kicked off what I call the season with an all-school open house. In four markets, that worked. And in this market that I'm in now, it really was not the right approach to have. So we've adapted, paid attention to what's happened with our competitors. And in this market, we're one of only two, two two-year-old through grade 12 independent schools. And I found that this market comes to us in a segmented way. So an all school open house is not the best approach. That's perfect. The second question is, what practices do you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work? Thank you. So having been a manager in five schools and having worked with teams of various sizes, what I know is that it's important to meet regularly with your team and to seek and share feedback. Currently, I meet with my team twice a week and with each team member at least once a week for about a half an hour. Our basic plan is that on Monday, We take a look at the week, and the question I always ask is, what does success look like this week? At the end of the week, which is typically Friday, we meet, and the question is, what went well this week, and what lies ahead? And the reason I ask those questions is that this is really intense work, and it's important that you think about small victories. And sometimes your yes and is yes, and we're going to do that next year. Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> so stopping and evaluating your programs and your systems is really important in the cyclical industry that we're in, in enrollment management. That's really, really important. So how has the pandemic changed your school's approach to parent engagement in the admissions process? I know that we're kind of out of this acute stage of the pandemic, but when you and I touched base at EMA actually um, last month, we're recording in October, so last month was September, uh, we talked about this and how you know there's still this need and process to really think about you know and reflect on what worked, what didn't, what to keep, what to abandon. So if you could talk more about that, that would be helpful. Sure. So in arriving at a new place, you have to think about not only what is right in front of you, but also where are we in the pandemic? And as the pandemic waned, I asked the question, what did we learn during COVID? And are we going back to what we did before? maybe that's not the thing that we should consider. And so what we learned specifically is that Zoom parent meetings allowed us to meet most of the parents or adults or caregivers in the household. So having worked with thousands of parents and over 30 years of work in schools, I knew that we had seen more parents, guardians and caregivers in the life of each applicant than ever before. So we're still doing parent interviews on Zoom. That's great. And I, I, I actually want to, to pause there because I'm in the process of finalizing our state of enrollment and marketing survey data. And that's going to be launching um, in, in just a, a few short days, actually. So that will be live on the blog by the time this episode airs. And one of the observations that we made is that there's actually been a decline in the percentage of schools, both on the private and independent school side and on the district and charter school side that are doing virtual events. And so one of the recommendations that we're making is to reconsider that. It's actually a, a pretty high percentage of schools that, even though there was a lot of conversation at the height of the pandemic about doing hybrid events and taking a hybrid approach to um, engaging prospective families in particular, it seems like people have kind of backed down from that beyond having virtual tours. So I think mm -hmm. you raise a really good point just about meeting families where they are, but also taking into consideration that you're getting a more holistic view of who the adults are in a child's life when you're offering opportunities to engage with a school in different ways. Absolutely, Angela. And so this is a partnership. And so in order to partner, no matter what it is you're partnering about, you have to acknowledge, get to know, appreciate, and trust all the people in the partnership. Yeah. And so this allows us to really set that stage by meeting all those people instead of, as I look back over you know, five different settings in terms of schools and a long time, we might meet all the people, but over a course of months, as opposed to at the start of the process, where it really is essential that you're gathering that data about hopes and dreams. Right. And passing that along, right? If that family enrolls, that's important information to share with division heads, with other leadership. So that's that's really, really important. 
So we we talked about how we had a chance to connect at EMA, and that's an organization that you're very involved with historically. And there was a lot of discussion at this year's conference about managing families' expectations around diversity work, which really starts at the earliest stages, ideally, of parent engagement. It's not an area where you want there to be surprises, but it can be something that schools can struggle with because it's it can be a sensitive topic. We have these culture wars that have been impacting the public school segment for some time that are starting to bleed into the private school segment. So from your perspective, how can schools proactively answer questions about diversity work and topics around that? I think it's essential, Angela, that each of us know who we are as we enter into diversity work. So having worked in schools for years, it's essential that I acknowledge that I am always going to be white. Therefore, I need partners, those who can help me in the work of meeting what is often a strategic goal of having to grow a diverse community. Right. And so at my current school, in I've only been here 14 months, and I have established these partners. And so they are current parents, they are members of the board, they are students and faculty and staff. And I'm really blessed to work with some fantastic student tour guides. And in selecting and thinking about building those groups, we are thoughtful about what they offer in the way of difference and that that is intentional and important work that we do as we put together a set of volunteers because they are our storytellers at this school beginning in middle school the tour guides are your first ambassadors they meet the family as they arrive and take them around the campus and show them everything before we even really talk with them in addition our head of school communicates each year with all of our families about what's happening in diversity work at our school in all in an all school written communication. The priority at our school is about belonging and specifically that all students feel that they belong. The work therefore is in our collective effort to meet this goal. So it's it's essential to own, if I circle back to the beginning, who you are as you think about how to achieve these goals. I love the idea of having the head of school send a communication every year specifically about diversity work, because I I can't imagine a stronger message about where an institution stands and and what the priorities are. And so I think that's a a really great takeaway for people who might be listening, provided that you've, you know, you've, you have the the scaffolding and the foundation in place, right? If, if you're not in that in, in that place in your school's journey, it might seem a little out of left field <laughs> if you have right. your head of school send out a dedicated communication. But if you are a school that has a deep commitment to diversity, equity, clu- inclusion, and belonging, and you've made that very clear early at the outset as a family is exploring, you know, enrolling at your school, going through the process, and then once they've enrolled, you're reinforcing that message annually with a message from mm-hmm. from the head of school, the very top leadership. I think that's that's a really great practice. Right. And so many of us have inclusive excellence statements. Mm-hmm. And so being able to think about what is your progress against the intentions of that statement. And so, as I said earlier, small victories, being sure that you notice the things that are going well can help everyone feel uh, really included 
and part of the solution on something that is this essential to the work of our schools. That's great. Another thing that you mentioned when we were planning for this episode is the concept of having must-air facts or these agreed-upon messages that you want to make sure prospective families hear during the admissions process. Can you talk about how you use those and how you determine what those those questions or, or what those points of fact are? Sure. So having joined five schools across the course of my career, it's really essential that you gather and understand what it is that the school is proud of and therefore what do we want to be sure we tell every family about our school. And so it's my practice to collect this data from as many sources as possible, to always test it by asking that audience if I heard them correctly. So reporting back to them, this is what I think you said. And then I synthesize that information and make a list that is then shared with a leadership team that I call must air facts. So what is it that you're going to tell a prospective family, whether they ask you or not? What are the facts that must be aired in your conversations and storytelling for a family to have an understanding of where your school is, as well as where you need to go? I find it to be certainly joined often with the strategic plan, but it's a nuanced anecdotal way to think about what is it you want to be sure you deliver in the way of the messages. I love that collaboration there too, because it makes sure that everyone is on the same page (laughs) about what those key messages are. And that is critically important. Absolutely. Because when you're new, you may not be noticing all the things that the school intends to be. Right. So you have to, I feel that asking the questions, just as we hope our students are asking good questions, Mm -hmm. that asking good questions about this, is this what you wanted me to hear? Is this the story I'm supposed to tell is important. And then after you've been in a school for a while, it's important to review that. We just reviewed our must air facts here in September and they are renewed for the second year of my time here. Is that something that you anticipate will become an annual process? Yes. And people now ask us about, do you have the must-air facts ready? Oh, really? So, you know, when you work in enrollment management or in marketing, you're always hoping you can gather people around the same, some of the same things. So Mm -hmm. that if you're in the grocery store or at the synagogue or wherever you might be in life on the soccer field, the things that come up have some regularity to them, not in a robotic way, but in a, we're all in this together. Right. So I appreciated that I was asked about this in September because it means people find this to be a helpful resource. It also, it's just a great marketing and branding practice as well, because it's ensuring that not just in the admissions process, but when people are out in the community, they're saying the correct, the correct things and telling the right stories. That's such a great practice. So another thing that we talked about when we were planning for this episode was that you got rid of individual tours for prospective families and switched to group tours. And that's something that I know became pretty popular you know, during the early days of the pandemic, mostly for safety reasons. 
Some schools have continued that practice. I can imagine there is a lot of work that goes into that. <laughs> can you explain why you made that switch? Absolutely. So I've done this in more than one school. And so I start this with a practice of feedback on all, really all aspects of our systems, but in this case, the tour. And so feedback from tour guides and staff who are giving the tours, they complete a feedback form that lets us know what did the family ask. And so the reason this reflection is important in our work is that most independent schools have the intention or even specific strategic goals or a mission that states our intention to widen each student's perspective. Mm. And so a family touring on their own has no one to widen their thinking or push their ideas about what your school could be, but a family touring with others will have their perspective widened by what others ask and remark on. And so this helps with understanding diversity in a new setting, diversity of opinion, of thought, of intended experience for students. I completely agree. I've actually observed that. And I, when I was in my previous role, one of the things that I loved to do was just tag along during admission tours mm -hmm. and hear the conversations that were happening between the prospective families, you know, because they would ask questions and then there were the whispers and the muttering that would happen <laughs> in, in the small, in the smaller huddles. And yeah. It was always so interesting to hear how they play off of one another and, mm -hmm. you know, having been going, having gone through the process myself, both as a parent and, you know, just as a staff member observing, there is something really valuable about getting a feel for the other types of parents that are looking at a school. It's really important and, and helpful because it gives you a sense of what types of other families is the school attracting and why and are these people that I want to go to play dates with and birthday parties and you know those relationships can become really strong and so it's it's really important to give them that exposure to others in the process. Yeah, and I would agree with you Angela. And so this is not instead of seeing a family one-on-one. -on -one. So we still as we talked about Zoom parent meetings, we still are spending a half an hour on Zoom with all the adults in that household talking about their child. And so we're not getting rid of that really important individualized conversation. And we're also, as you said, giving them the chance to meet other people who might be part of the school community with them. Right. It's important to do both. So our next question, this is a great segue into how you have conversations internally about what's working and what isn't working. And this is something I, I like to ask a lot of people because people approach this very differently. Some don't actually have the opportunity to do this at all. So <laughs> I'm also hoping to give them some ideas. But can you talk about how often your team meets to review your processes and the tactics that you're using in an admission cycle? Sure. So in every school I've been in, I've had evaluation of our work uh, as, well of, as well as of the enrollment team itself as a standard practice. And this includes rejoicing in what goes well, but also thinking through things you could have improved. And so this means collecting data through surveys and conversations and regular meetings that include those beyond your team. Because in enrollment management, you actually can't do your work unless others are involved in helping you. Mm -hmm. And then to analyze that, owning what you could do better. We all make mistakes. Being ready to evolve your systems 
excellence is achieved through regular reflection and evolution, essentially. Having a sunrise and a sunset, what can you stop doing and what can you start doing? Very important. And that, Angela, I would agree with you, is one of the greatest challenges in the work and enrollment uh, because there often are additions that are suggested by those outside of the enrollment team to add to our list of things that we're doing. And those might not always be effective. More is not always better or or needed. Sometimes a change is a great thing to make. And an idea from someone else allows you to get out of the bubble you're in uh, as an enrollment team. But you, you have to be ready to evaluate. And I look to do that quickly. That's the last thing I would say about this, is you have to have the practice of saying, we just did this. So for instance, this morning, we just did a new event. And so we already met with that division head and asked her how we could have supported her differently. Did we meet her expectations? Was there something she wanted us to change because we're doing this four other times? So being quick is important because the work, as I said earlier, is fast paced. And so we are doing some things that are new to the school and that started even in my first year. We put in place May orientations last year. And that was from observing that as families enrolled as new families, they then went until the end of June before they heard something substantial about the next year. And so I felt the need to tuck them in. (laughs) I, I felt the need to bring them and have them see their people. And also, as you know, we are coming out of two years of COVID and we actually could have them on campus. So it was a little bit of a celebration, in fact. So that was something we put in new. We put in a new retention committee. So there had not been in a four division school of over 900 students, an iterative conversation about those students that were considering making another choice and who might be the people to engage with them. Because it isn't necessarily the enrollment team, Mm -hmm. unless you happen to know them well. It's about where is their place of trust. And so those are things that we evaluated and added. We also put in place some things that I've used in other markets, Angela. And so I don't know if, would it be effective to talk about those uh, now or does that follow in this line of thinking? I think I think we can cover those now. Yeah, because I, I think it's a great way of looking at things that you have introduced you know, as a result of this process. So one of the things that I feel having been in five different markets is that applying to an independent school can seem like getting a membership, (laughs) that that you have to somehow do all the right things to become a member. Right. And so I like to get rid of some of the perceived barriers about exploring a school. And so in, a, in this market, we're doing something called walk-in Wednesdays. In another market, we called it touring Tuesdays. You, you get the idea. Uh, and it's a drop-in program that you do not have to register for. So in, in our electronic world, it's out there on Calendly in our system. You can add it to your own calendar as a person who is planning on joining, but you don't register with us so that we know that you're coming. You just show up. And we remind people that you can just show up. You have to teach your market that this is really okay behavior. Uh, So we've already had two people call because we have the first one next week saying, can I really just walk in? And so the answer is yes. 
because I think we want people to know we're that open. We're not putting on a show. This is regular school. Just walk in and be with us. And uh, they will come and hear a short presentation and then go on uh, tours. So for some families, it's about the number of times you can visit to then feel as if, oh, what I saw the first time is still what I'm seeing the third time. So this looks like the place for us. Yeah. And so having that opportunity to just come and do that, as I said at the start, a big open house is not really what this market is ready for. Right. A drop in, come and see us. Come, come see what's happening. And you could come four times if you'd like, because we're going to talk about a different thing each of those four times. And you could then tour four times if you want to. And then I, I mentioned a moment ago that we just had a debrief with a division head. We did coffee and conversation, which in previous years at many different schools was a required in-person attendance event. Mm. Out, of, out of COVID, I'm not doing that. <laughs> these, are, these are Zoom coffee and conversations. So Zoom in, bring your cup of coffee and just talk with our division head. They're not people who are behind a curtain or behind a closed door. They're here just to answer your questions. So we spent 35 minutes with a number of families considering our lower school this morning. Again, a little bit of that group think. These were all different kinds of families joining us who had different kinds of questions. So they learned from each other. They actually talked to each other on the Zoom call by the end of it, remarking on each other's questions. So uh, again, these are things that we're putting in place that were not in place last year and we'll evaluate them. Did they work? Did they work for our constituents? Do you do any types of surveys for families that do the coffees and conversations or the walk-in Wednesdays or some of the other events that you're doing? We do. We do short surveys that go out to people where we ask about it. And then we also just did in late September, our newly enrolled family survey. And the reason I don't do it until then is I actually want to ask them about their transition to our community. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're new for a while. Yes. <laughs> it, do- it, doesn't, it doesn't end at a particular moment. And for some people, it lasts longer than others. And so our role is, as you think about the partnerships that I talked about earlier around diversity work, our job is to partner with the division on a family's transition to the school and to notice how did it go? Did you like your pre-conference that happened in August? Did we tell you enough? Did you understand when your child was supposed to be here and when they weren't supposed to be here? How was curriculum night? So we ask all, we wait until the last curriculum night has ended mm-hmm. and then we send out a survey to newly enrolled people. And yes, have we already started our enrollment process and built things? Absolutely. But this gives us a way to do a little bit of a circle back and see, all right, as we plan this next six or seven months with these about to be new people, what are the things that we can adjust and change? Because it is all about belonging and everybody's got to belong, not just the student. I love that. We're very big fans of surveys at NIT. (laughs) And I personally am a big believer in them because you can get really great data. And one of the things that we've also seen with this now being the second year of our state of enrollment marketing survey is that not enough schools are doing that. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, especially (laughs) with retention, but you know, retention starts once a family enrolls. I mean, you've got them, but you've got to keep them. And one of the things that we believe to be very important in that process is to have that new family survey 
An applicant survey is helpful in auditing your admissions processes, but you also want to find out how things are going once that handoff has happened from the enrollment and admissions office to the division head and the teachers and all of these other people who are going to be having interactions with that family and ensuring that there's continuity in those experiences and that you're delivering on what you promised. Exactly. And that what what you just said exactly, that what you said was going to happen is. And so we also asked them in the survey, tell us a story about something your child has said about mm. being at our school. That's so, a great so, question. So it's, it's a reflective. So there are some boxes you can check. And always four boxes, not five, because people will pick the middle one all the time. (laughs) But we do ask a couple of reflective questions so that we can get the parents thinking about, what am I hearing from my child? And is that what I expected to hear? And if it's not, what do I do about that? So looking to prompt their engagement with the division or their re-engagement with the division is part of our timing as well. That's actually a perfect place for us to end. So if people have questions or want to connect with you, what are some ways that that they can find you online? So you can contact me on LinkedIn or you can go to the St. Anne's Belfield School website and hit the link and send me an email. I really enjoy helping others to achieve their goals. And I'm currently working with three other directors who are new in their role and uh, helping them with the things that come up each week that are new challenges or opportunities. So I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us, Randy. It's been a great conversation. Thank you for this opportunity, Angela. 